Good morning to each one this morning. I truly believe it's a blessing, a privilege to be together this morning, and I think each one of us feel that way. And uh, we have already been challenged to a closer walk with God and uh, to consider our lives and to live them accordingly. This morning I have a subject before us that maybe is not, um, I don't know, maybe not the most uh, inspiring necessarily, and yet it's something that I think it is good for us to consider. And uh, so I'd like to speak this morning on the subject of the Christian and civil government. And I want to make sure that this message is not politically motivated. Um, And as I was thinking about this, I don't think this should just be a sermon. It probably should almost rather be a discussion. Um, And so I'm hoping to uh, wrap up what I have to say in enough time that you can share some of your thoughts. Because what I have here is not going to be totally well-rounded. Um, but I, I would like to see what you have to say as well. So the Christian and civil government. You know, we as Christians live in a fallen world. There's lawlessness on every side. We don't have to look very far. We, we don't have to, to imagine. There's, a, there's wickedness and there's disregard for the, the uh, commands of God and His Word. It seems that there is very little fear of God. And actually, very little fear of the authorities of our land. We have those who, I guess I would say, just thumb their nose at what the government would have to say. And we have those who, who have no place, uh, no respect for the, those who try to keep law and order, such as a policeman. Now, it depends a little bit in what country, what, what land we live, maybe as to how this appears to us. Um, but this is something that has faced a Christian from the Apostles' time through today, how to relate to the civil government as a believer. Um, And so, there's maybe a number of questions that we could ask, and I'm not necessarily going to elaborate on all of these, But can a Christian be a part of the government? Should the Christian take up arms to defend the country in which he lives? Is it biblical to appeal to our government in matters of conscience? Should we let our desires be known by way of voting? How involved should we be in the judicial system, particularly as it maybe would come to jury duty? Is there ever a time not to obey the directives of the government under which we live? How should the believer respond to a corrupt government or to a dictator? And, uh, you know, the questions could go on. I'd like to remind us this morning that we are citizens of a greater kingdom than any kingdom of this earth. We serve the King of Kings. And I think we need to keep that foremost in mind. 
And even though we, we interact and even though we um, have to deal with and even though we come under the authority of the land in which we live, we serve the King of Kings. And we are subject to His mandates. I was looking at uh, what Daniel Kaufman had to say in Doctrines of the Bible. I'd like to quote just a little bit there. Uh, he said this, The goodness of God toward man is apparent in the twofold provision made for man's government, care, and protection. One, spiritual, through the church. Two, material, through the state. That the power of civil government as well as the power of the church is ordained of God is evident from the writings of inspired men. And then if you go a little bit further, he goes on to point out that God has ordained a system whereby the righteous may be shielded against the dishonesty and the violence of unrighteous. And so I think we need to be thankful for the, uh, the rulers, for those who are in authority. And here again, it, it depends maybe what uh, form of government we're living under. But even in the worst of governments, we should be thankful that there are those that God has placed in position to, to uh, try to work against the evil. And so we know that there are evil rulers and governments. There are those who do not protect the Christian, but rather seek to destroy at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote, and we're, we'll look at this a little bit later as far as what he wrote, he wrote to the churches to, to honor and to obey the magistrates. At that time, if I would understand right, Nero, who was one of the most wicked and ruthless rulers ever, was in power in Rome. And Paul wrote to the Roman Christians to obey those who had the rule over you. So I... I guess we can say that there's, we don't have excuse to say that we, we should not honor and respect those even that are wicked. Uh, Jesus and the apostles are clear that we must respect our civil rulers and be obedient citizens. And we are admonished to honor them. Now I suppose a lot of you have taken notice that this past week there's been a lot of upheaval in the United States here. The, um, the nation has just come through a very turbulent time of a, election. It's evident that the people of this nation are deeply divided. And uh, this past week there was a riot uh, against the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Now there are those who are calling for the ouster of the, uh, of the president a week or two early, because of his role and what, what has gone on. And I suppose we could go around the auditorium here and ask, and we'd find that there's some strong opinions, maybe varying opinions. That's not necessarily what I'm asking for. Probably wouldn't all agree. We dare not, as citizens of the kingdom of God, become embroiled in the political affairs of the nation in which we live. That's not our calling. Then, of course, one thing that uh, I, I think each of us has 
processed in our own thinking, how do we relate to the directives that have come in this current pandemic in which we live? And I'm not here this morning to, to settle that matter. I'm uh, leaving that with you. Um, how are we to respond to things that seem not so important? Maybe even ludicrous. Why has this recent pandemic, or current pandemic, divided churches? It has. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's what God wants. I think it's partially because there's such a wide range of belief of how the Christian should relate to the civil government. And I, I think this, this has brought some things to, at least to focus in, in my mind. Um, you know, there are those who, who feel duty-bound to follow the directives of the, of the governor and the health authorities. And there's others who, who feel it's a, actually a ploy of the devil to destroy the church. And if we follow these directives, we're allowing him to get a foothold. And I'm, I think I'll just leave it right there. Uh, because what I want to do is look at what the Bible says, not what I say. All right. Um, thinking of governments, it's maybe one thing to live under a king or a dictator where one man basically has authority to say what, what goes and what doesn't go. Uh, we live under a form of government where there is a legislature that is voted in by the people, by the citizens, and they make the laws. And you know, sometimes the, the over, it seems like an overwhelming thing, the, the new laws and directives that come. Recently I saw a news article that said, as of January 1st, here are the new laws that are going to go into effect in Oregon. One, two, three, four, I don't know how many there were. So here we are. Now what are we going to do with that? You know, the, the federal and the state legislators meet either annually or biannually. And it seems like that's what they think they're put in there for, and I guess they are, is to make laws. And so we have law after law after law that's, that's made. How do, we, how do we as Christians relate to that? I had to think about this. You know, th this is something that we deal with a lot at Smith Seed. The laws that govern the things that, that we do in our business. You know, there's labor laws. There's building code laws. There's safety laws. There's traffic laws. And um, sometimes it's very difficult to, to meet them all. We try as best as we can to respond and, and uh, respect and be obedient. I'll have to admit there, there are times where laws don't seem wise or pertinent. Now, am I, am I supposed to decide that myself? And how do we respond to them? Do we pick and choose? Um, I was thinking this morning back a number of years ago. I was preaching through the through the book of Nehemiah, just a few, a few Sundays preaching through the book of Nehemiah. There was somebody that worked for us there at Smith that was uh, trying to navigate his way through some building code laws. And he came to me after he said, you know, he said, it just seems like 
like we're facing today, what they faced back in Nehemiah's time, where they hired them counselors to frustrate our purposes. And, uh, well, I've thought about that many times, you know, hiring counselors to frustrate their purposes. And uh, I will admit, I guess to my shame, I guess to my shame anyhow, that there are some laws that maybe I have not been as conscientious as I should be. We've had a dog running around for quite a few years without a dog license. What do we do about that? I guess hope this doesn't go out too far. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there's maybe some infringement on some traffic laws or maybe on hunting laws or, oh, let's see, um, building codes, so on. Unfortunately, and I think I'm correct on this, unfortunately, our willingness to be obedient to the laws of the land has a lot to do with penalties, financial penalties, in direct proportion to how it affects our pocketbook. If fines are levied, we're, we tend to comply. If not, we tend to be unconcerned. <clears throat> All right, I think... One thing that we as conservative Mennonites are agreed on is that we should not be a part of the governing process. We should have no part in legislating uh, laws or enforcing them. We should not be involved in voting or in jury proceedings. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are strangers and pilgrims and we are ambassadors. So to go here, what I'd like to do, I'd like to look at what Jesus had to say, what the apostles had to say, what some of the early church fathers had to say, what some of the Anabaptists had to say, and even what we have to say today. Do, do they all correspond? <clears throat> okay, maybe first of all, I think of, of Jesus. He laid the groundwork here. And he said that my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, this is what he told Pilate, then my servants would fight for me. But my kingdom is not of this world. Another thing that Jesus said, um, let's see. Yes, he said, when, when people came to him and said, well, well, maybe I'll just read this here. Mark 12 verses 14 to 17, where Jesus said, Render the things to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Um, and, when they came, and when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And so they were trying to put him into corners. Should... should should we follow Caesar? You know, the, the Jewish people hated the tyranny of the, of the Roman people over them. So Jesus said, bring me a penny. They brought it and he said, whose is the image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. Jesus answering said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. So... Uh, Jesus said, taught there that there should be 
a giving of for taxes. I'm going to read another passage that that um, relates to this in Matthew 17 verses 24 to 27. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money, or you might say taxes, came to Peter and said, "Doth not your master pay tribute?" He says, yes. And when he was come to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. And so Jesus made sure that their tribute was paid. Told uh, Peter, go, and, go fishing like you like to do, and you'll find a fish that has a coin in it. All right. Um, now a few, a few uh, of the writings of the apostles. In 1 Timothy 2.1, and two, Paul writes to Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, lead, lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And I'm going to turn then to First Peter 2, see what Peter had to say. First uh, Peter two thirteen to seventeen. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king and supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So here Peter is saying we're free. And yet in our freedom, we should honor those who are over us and not use our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Titus 3.1 says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Then I had to think of Peter and the other apostles as they were called before the council. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And then we often think of Romans 13 in relation to this subject, where Paul writes about the... Um, the government, I guess you say, I want to read the first eight verses of uh, Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, I'm going to stop here just a minute. I've been reading in the book of Daniel, and more than once it says there that God places whom he will in the kingdoms. And so that's really what what uh, Paul is saying here. There's no power but of God. Verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another fulfilleth the law. Well, there's a lot that could be said there. I think I'll pretty much let it speak for itself. But it does say that the rulers are ministers of God for, for your good. Because they suppress evil. They suppress the, the murderers and the thieves and others that would try to harm us. All right. Uh, I'm going to need to move along here. Um, I don't think I'll read just... I have a number of quotes of uh, early church fathers. I'm going to read just a few of them. And um, the first by, by Polycarp, which I believe was the disciple of the Apostle John, if I'm not mistaken, in about uh, 135 A.D. He, he says, We are taught to give all due honor to the powers and authorities that are ordained, are ordained of God. And then there's Justin Martin and or Justin Martyr in about 160. To God alone we render worship. However, in other things we gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of man and praying that with your kingly power you will be found also to possess sound judgment. Um, Arrhenius in about 180. Paul the Apostle also says upon this same subject, be subject to all the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Now he spoke these words not in regard to angelic powers, nor of invisible rulers, but of those actual human authorities. Tertullian in about 197, we respect in the emperors the ordinance of God who has set them over the nations, to know that in them there is that thing which God hath willed. Um, I'm going to read one more quote yet from Origen, from uh, 248, about uh, two centuries after the Apostles. When it is not opposed to the law of God, it is a proper thing for citizens not to abandon the written law under the pretext that it's a foreign custom. However, what if the law of nature, that is the law of God, commands what is opposed to the written law? Does not reason tell us to bid a long farewell to the written code and to give ourselves up to the legislator, unto the legislator God? This is so even if in doing so it may be necessary to encounter dangers, countless labors, and even death and dishonor. And so I, I think we find then in these uh, early church writings that they believed that the Christian was to be subject to the uh, authorities, to, to uh, yes, to be under them.
All right, so then going on, we think a little bit of the uh, Anabaptists. I'm going to read a, a little statement here by Michael Sadler. He was one of the early Anabaptists. I lived about two years, I think, after the founding of the Anabaptists of the Swiss Brethren. He says, The civil government is an institution of God outside the perfection of Christ to punish evildoers and protect the good. In the Church of Christ, no other means of correction are used than discipline through admonition and expulsion of him who has sinned. The question is asked, can a Christian become an earthly ruler if he is elected to such an office? The answer is, Christ was to be made a king and he fled. And he has more here to say. One thing that we find at the time of the Anabaptists, that the magistrates were often churchmen and not just uh, um, government officials, as we'd think. And so, and so we find, I, I found in uh, the writings of, of um, Menno Simons, he has quite a section on uh, appeal for toleration, exhortation to the magistrates. And in this, he, he appeals to them that you are, you are not fulfilling the duty you should. He tells them they, they have responsibility to, to deal with murderers and sodomites and adulterers and robbers and to restrain them by reasonable means. But he appeals them that to punish the goodness of the children of God is contrary to their calling. And they, they can't settle these matters, spiritual matters, with the sword. Then uh, maybe I'll take just a little bit of a look at the Dortrecht Confession of Faith. Um, we subscribe to the Dortrecht Confession of Faith. And this was something that was written by the, by the Dutch in about, uh, I think it was 1632 maybe. All right, I don't know if I'll read all this, but let me read a little bit of it. We also believe and confess that God has instituted civil government for the punishment of the wicked and the protection of the pious, and also further for the purpose of governing the world, countries, and cities, and also to preserve its subjects in good order and under good regulation. Wherefore, we are not permitted to despise, revile, or resist the same, but are to acknowledge it as a minister of God and be subject and obedient to it, in all things that do not militate against the law, will, and commandment of God, yea, to be ready to every good work, also faithfully to pay it custom tax and tribute, thus giving it what is due, as Jesus Christ did himself and commanded his followers to do. That we are also to pray to the Lord earnestly for the government and its welfare and its behalf of our country, so that we may live under its protection maintain ourselves and lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, and further that the Lord would recompense them, our rulers, here and eternity for all the benefits, liberties, and favors which we enjoy under the laudable administration. That was interesting to me that those who wrote up the uh, Dortrecht Confession of Faith, um, and I, I think some of the prayers of the Anabaptists would, would uh, portray this, but they asked the Lord to recompense our rulers here and in, and in eternity for the benefits, liberties, and favors that we enjoy. So that, uh, that is that then. Okay. Now, as far as the Mennonites further, um, 
I already mentioned uh, doctrines of the Bible, and I don't think I'm going to go any further than that. I'd like yet to read just a little bit out of our faith, government, and practice that we have as the Halsey Mennonite Church. Just a few things that we have agreed upon, that we have looked at. Um, Under the section of faith, what we believe, church and state. The scriptures teach that the church and state are distinct and separate. So we believe that as Christians, we cannot participate in military service or politics, either by holding public office, by voting, or in applying pressure upon the government in the regulation of their affairs, but rather that we should give ourselves to prayer on their behalf. We further believe that we should keep aloof from all movements which seek the reformation of society independent of the merits of the death of Christ and the experience of the new birth. All right, then going further under the section of um, non Yes, non-resistance. It says this as far as worldly offices. Members shall refrain from participating in political matters, holding offices in which it is necessary to take or administer an oath, using carnal force and maintaining order, or filling any office which is usually secured through the agency of some political party. Then about jurors, it said, Members shall not serve as jurors in cases of capital punishment, They shall try to keep their names out of the jury box. So those are things that we have felt are important enough, scriptural enough principles to put in our statement of of, uh, faith and practice. So I'd like to ask us now at the the close here, and then I want to hear a little bit what, what you might have to say. With the multitude of witnesses that we have from Jesus, from the apostles, through today, where do we stand? And I'd just like to point out a few of the, of the um, principles, I think, that the, that the New Testament has, has uh, shown to us. That there should be prayer, supplication, and giving of thanks for our rulers. We are to be subject, to obey, not to resist their power, to have a conscience, not just fear, to submit to honor, to pay tribute, to do good works. Um, And so I'm not here this morning to try to make a statement how closely we should follow some of the current directives that we we have, have, I guess, to, to look at. My intent here this morning is that the Word of God would speak to us. And uh, that we all need to make personal determination how we will respond and relate to the rulers of the land. So I don't know now, uh, has this stirred anybody's thinking enough that you have a few things you'd like to share with us? And I, I think maybe, I hope this doesn't intimidate you, but you know, for people to hear, I talk into this thing here. And uh, I know there's probably some people who might have might be calling in and it's a little bit hard for them to hear what brother will has to say back there in the corner so we're going to expect him to say something in the mic i guess uh i've i 